Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop, 24-7 Sports. I am Andrew Alex, joined by two men who just they look good today. They look good today. They look good despite the fact that from a college football perspective, in terms of fandom, spirits may be crushed, but you wouldn't be able to tell. Looking good, looking young, looking hydrated. <laughs> Matei, Doug, how are you? I'm good. I, I appreciate the pep talk. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing good over here too. I think uh, we'll have some good perspective for this Rutgers recap. I know it's a little bit later in the week, but you know, Doug, super analytical, watching. I assume from the couch, Andrew in the stands, and I was up in the press box. So we have every angle covered. Every angle was indeed covered. Well, by that now. You know, everyone knows the story, right? Virginia Tech loses by 19 to Rutgers. Game got off to a very poor start with the fumble. <laughs> 21 to 3. Virginia Tech eventually brings it back within five points. And then a 55-yard run about crushed the hopes and dreams of the Hokies coming back in the contest, ultimately losing the game by 19 points. Uh, Virginia Tech has still yet to beat a Power 5 uh, non-conference opponent in the regular season since West Virginia 2017. Is that accurate? Sounds right to me. Yeah. I mean, that's just off the easy right there. But, <laughs> but you know, a one of two opportunities that Brent Pry had to uh, give himself that signature win, you know, early on in his tenure here at Virginia Tech. Uh, once again, you know, ends in a disappointment. I think we all picked Rutgers to win the football game. In fact, it is recorded. And I think that once again, my, my score prediction, closest to the actual thing, blowout. You're all over it. All over it. Uh, but knowing what we knew going into the game, right? How, how surprised were you by what went down at Piscataway on Saturday afternoon? Uh, I was not very surprised. Uh, kind of went a, kind of went the way I thought it was. You know, Rutgers came in with an experienced, really strong defense. Um, we knew that that was going to make it difficult for Virginia Tech to consistently move the ball on offense. Um, and they came in with a strong running game with a good running back and a and a running quarterback, and we knew that that was also going to be a problem. So. You know, I thought we kind of saw, like, you know, the, the the slow start, then Tech controls kind of a middle portion of that game, kind of to get back to 21-16. That was that was kind of that was sustained success on both sides of the ball for a little bit, which gives you, you know, maybe a little bit of hope that they can, you know, sh- stretch that out over four quarters at some point this season. But, um, you know, I th- I thought that kind of fell in line with how we thought this game would go like Rutgers wasn't overwhelmingly talented where they were just going to dominate for four quarters. So like, you know, they kind of traded punches there for a little bit, but then, but then it it just always seemed like it was going to be tough for Tech's offense and Tech's defense to kind of hold up um, against in a, in a, on the road, in a, a, a tough matchup given what, given was what was thrown at them. And I didn't think, yeah, the the fumble on the first play of the game, gifting them a 19-yard touchdown drive, 
Um, this this Virginia Tech team just absolutely cannot do that. Um, and then I thought, you know, the, the the pick by Drones swung field position. I didn't think it was. I mean, it was a better pick than a poor decision by the by the DB, and there was two receivers in the area, but that didn't help. The Daquan Felton drop didn't help, and then I thought thought Brent Price should have gone for it on fourth and goal. Those two first half field goals. Um, when Virginia Tech gets close to the end zone, they got to get seven points this year and not settle for field goals, and then and then they missed one of them, which only made it worse. So. I think he needs to be more aggressive. But overall, like I thought it was just about what we expected. Tough matchup, not overwhelming. So Tech hung around in there a little bit, but um just was gonna eventually go that way and that's and that's what happened. Yeah, just a couple of things to add on to what Doug was saying. I think in terms of Rutgers, we previewed them pretty well in terms of what their identity is on offense. I think it was you know, beyond expectations in terms of how much they tried to run the ball and really, you know, abandon the passing game. There was one point, I think, late in the second quarter when I was talking in our live chat on VT Scoop and just saying, if the Rutgers offensive coordinator knows what he's doing, just run his quarterback because Virginia Tech is just completely unable to stop the run game. And I think I expected it to be a steady breakdown that Rutgers would extend drives, hold on to the ball. And in fact, it seemed more, you know, there were numerous times in the first half, a couple times in the third quarter where Rutgers would simply go three and out. But on the drives where there was a Virginia Tech breakdown, it was like these explosive plays made up more than half of their yards. You know, the 55-yard run, the 34-yard quarterback keeper in the first half, like, Rutgers was doing the same thing the entire game, but there were a few breakdowns where they just became more explosive on the ground and, you know, virtually untouched or actually untouched and route to some of those big plays Um, on the offensive side of the ball for Virginia tech. I thought they did some things. Well, I thought it was the best showing from Tyler Bowen so far in terms of how he was able to utilize Kyron Drones. I was more impressed, given the fact that Virginia Tech is without their top two receivers, I was more impressed with him as a passer. I thought he did a a great job in terms of spreading out the ball and especially on rollouts uh, or moving the pocket. I thought he looked comfortable. He didn't look like a guy that was making his first career start. In terms of running the ball, there were some good things in terms of quarterback keepers. Um, it looked like Bashal Tutin was a bit more comfortable, but overall, I think the narrative that, you know, Virginia Tech was just dominated in both of the trenches, whether it was the offensive line. I know they brought in Brody Meadows at one point and he, you know, things looked a little bit better, but the Rutgers defensive front completely ate up the offensive line. And then, you know, defensively, I mean, 7.5 yards on average for this Rutgers rushing attack. Like, you know, I maybe expected like 4.5, but, you know, every phase of the defense just eventually, you know, there was just so many missed assignments and bigger plays than I expected. And, uh, you know, just a lot more success 
for this Rutgers running game than I anticipated heading into this matchup. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the defense in a moment, but let, let's focus on Kyron Drones here because I, I think that was one of the major takeaways is that Drones, though imperfect, looked like he belonged you know, as someone who can play at the Power 5 level. Uh, you know, fans right now, I mean, I, I think that we're all heavily anticipating because of the status of the Wells injury uh, that, you know, there's no chance that Wells will play against Marshall this week. Uh, you know, you imagine a world where maybe he could play, full health, magical. Fans would riot if he trotted out there for the first drive. Did you see enough from Drones in that game to truly feel like he is definitively the best option that Virginia Tech has at quarterback? I'm not willing to go there yet. Um, I think it was a good first game. Definitely pleasantly surprised by his ability or, or at least confidence throwing the ball. Um, you know, we sat here last week and basically downplayed the whole thing and said, like, it wasn't it, the competition wasn't close between drones and wells and it basic basically it might be really really bad and it wasn't that um you know i he was the he was the number one quarterback in the country on short passes between zero and nine yards last week 13 for 13 like pretty comfortable confident throws there i thought I thought the one throw that was most indicative of his confidence and how he was feeling, I forget when it was, and I think it was to Gosnell. It was like a deep corner to the back pylon of the end zone. It was incomplete, but it was like one of those throws that you you, you don't make if you are not a confident passer or you don't or you aren't feeling good about your ability to throw the ball. So um, I think he's got a – I think he deserves the play. I think he's got a good chance – to keep his job if Wells when Wells gets back healthy. But I also think like, you know, this is still a guy that's going into probably a second career start next week. And there's probably going to be growing pains. Like, like this is not going to be a linear progression upwards of development. Like he's, there's going to be probably going to be some bad games and some uh oh moments and some like boneheaded decisions that, just happen when you're a quarterback that's not played very much. Um, so like I could see I could see Wells getting his job back this year just because of like inconsistency in how drones develops or is is developing at the time. But you no, know, I think overall like he did he did and brings to the table exactly what we thought. Um a little bit of passing. He he adds an element to text for rushing game that they desperately need. And I thought the other thing he did was um, escape pressure better than Wells did or Wells does, or at least an injured Wells definitely does. Um, his ability to, to to escape a blitzer, especially with this Virginia Tech offensive line, I think that's critical. And even if he's not, you know, picking up yardage on the ground or finding an open receiver, he's, he's escaping just long enough to throw the ball away. And, and you're turning a, if you, if you do that on first and 10, and instead of taking a sack to make it second and 17, it's just back to second and 10. Like for, for, for a Virginia Tech offense that cannot fall behind the sticks like that, I think that's a big, a big value and, and something to watch as, as this thing progresses over the next few weeks. 
I think there's also there's a couple things working for him, a couple things working against him. Obviously, he was preparing to be the starter, had about six days to do so. This isn't the you know the most we're going to see in terms of the playbook out of drones. There's still more to be gained there. He's going to get, you know, anticipating to get back Jalen Lane this week, which will be huge, especially as Doug mentioned, he was 13 for 13 in short yardage. Having a guy, a consistent guy in the slot that you can rely upon is huge for drones and his game. Uh, but then the flip side of it is, you know, there wasn't a ton of film on drones and there wasn't a ton of film on Virginia Tech kind of playing this horizontal offense and keeping things in front of them. It did seem a bit different than when Wells was in there. And when you're playing teams like Marshall or, you know, Pittsburgh coming up, you know, those are, those are going to be defenses that really hone in on, you know, what his style is. And I think we can see some more struggles there, uh, especially in the passing department. So um, there are both good things and bad things. I, I think we saw a very solid performance um, and we definitely don't know what the ceiling is yet, and we don't know what the floor is yet. And it could be pretty scary if, you know, Drones is trotting out against Marshall and throwing three interceptions in the first half. Like, we just don't know that information yet. Um, and and maybe the coaches do, and that's why it seemed like Grant was, you know, so far ahead. But, um, you know, it's still a quarterback, as Doug said, making a second career start next weekend or looks to make a second career start. Um, so, you know, we're going to find out more as the season rolls along, but, you know, the offense definitely looked more balanced with him as the quarterback. And I think there's a lot to build on there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, there's only so much you can do with, uh, you know, the very limited sample size that we currently have with Kyron Jones, but, Is the fact that Wells is out, at least in the in the short to medium term, right? We'll call it Marshall and Pitt. Based on just the information that we have, all else equal. With drones in there, do you feel better or worse about Virginia Tech's chances to come away with victories in one or either both of those games? I think I feel better with drones because of what he brings on the ground. Um, especially with Ollie Jennings out and Jalen Lane gimpy on a hammy. Um, Tech's playmaking ability in the passing game is limited already, even if Wells is back there. Um, we kind of saw what happened last year with Wells with in the, in the offense with, with not enough skill position players at wide receiver. So I think, I think the ground game like is, is going to be is is critical like you've got to run you got to figure out a way to run the ball because in all the likelihood like passing is going to be a struggle um especially if Pitt has three really good defensive backs that are like um I, I just don't know that how much passing is how much the passing attack would you know be be impactful with well even if Wells was back at this point so I'd rather go with drones figure out how to run the ball and hope that that opens up some kind of passing game from there. If you're if you're not able to run the ball and you just let teams tee off on Wells back, whoever's playing quarterback, tee off on Wells and know that they can 
they'll know that they're going to stop the run so that they can focus more attention on the pass. It's just going to be really, really difficult. Yeah, that's the thing, too. Like when Wells was the quarterback, especially against Purdue, Virginia Tech was just so one dimensional. We kind of saw it in the first quarter as well against Old Dominion. Like if you are not able to run the ball and, you know, set up the passing game, and I think that's what putting in drones gives you more balance, which is important. You're, you got to keep the defense on their toes. And even if he's not the greatest passer in the world, he'll keep you honest. He's an extra guy you have to defend and plan against every single week. And being a guy that can roll out, escape pressure, you know, take quarterback draws, you're keeping the defense and the safeties honest in the passing game. And it kind of opens things up a little more. It takes more pressure off the offensive line. It's, you know, it just makes the offense all around more balanced, which is, I think the number one priority, like Virginia Tech still has not found their identity on offense and putting in Wells and relying on Bashal Tootin, who, you know, is unable to find a hole on this offensive line. Like it's just a recipe for disaster. So, you know, at least it, it wasn't the greatest performance. Like let's face it in a perfect world, Virginia Tech scores 20 points last weekend with the missed field goal. And instead of going for two, if they just kick the extra point, like, 20 points is not great, but, uh, you know, at least you can kind of build off of it. And, you know, they were able to do some things. But, you know, if this gets to the conference slate where it's Grant Wells on, on a bad leg, just trying to sit in the pocket and, and throw to, you know, half healthy wide receivers, like that's not going to be the recipe for success. I want to turn to coaching here, right? Because, you know, I- a theme that we've seen throughout the the Brent Pry tenure is the Hokies find themselves in a lot of these games through three quarters. They fall off in the fourth. Sometimes a slow start. They work their way back in, but can't finish the job. Uh, you know, I would say more often than not, right? There's been. A few examples, you can look to uh, North Carolina last year as one of them. You know, a couple others come to mind where Tech had no shot. Now with, you know, the one and two start, it seems like a lot of fans are turning to coaching and saying, you know, this team never punches above their weight class. Uh, You know, in close battles talent-wise, because let's not – lie and say that over the course of the last two years, Virginia Tech has played a lot of world beaters. <laughs> Hasn't been a lot of Florida States on that schedule. And, and they continue to come up short. To what degree do you blame the coaching? Uh, and, and are there specific areas of improvement that you can highlight and circle that as we go through the rest of the season where you know, you have Marshall this week. Not going to be a massive talent gap. Pitt has been struggling. Wake Forest almost lost to Old Dominion. Boston College, though they nearly beat Florida State somehow, nearly lost to Holy Cross. UVA is trash, though they do have a spunky little quarterback now. <laughs> you know, what areas of improvement from a coaching staff perspective, whether that be in-game adjustments, scheme going in, anything, you know, the floor is yours. 
where would you like to see improvement from the staff to reinstill confidence with, I guess, yourself, the fan base? Like, what would you like to see from them show that things are getting better? Uh, I thought Matej touched on a little bit earlier, but the scheme offensively was definitely slightly different, maybe significantly different with drones at quarterback. And I thought that's that was a step in the right direction from Tyler Bowen. So I'd like to see him flush that out a little more. Like even the even the missed handle or the fumble on the first play of the game was like a little jet sweep type action um, going side to side, which I, I I don't think we've seen that before. Um, that's one area. Crook on the offensive line has got to figure something out with those guys, and I'm curious when he's going to pull the trigger on some rotation or some significant changes. Brody Meadows got 28 snaps and played pretty well in those 28 snaps. Looks like a pretty strong candidate to take over for Braylon Moore in a bigger way. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think probably mentioned Johnny Garrett is a guy that's coming on this week. Um, you know, last season, I think that was a probably a mistake for how below average that offensive line was. And Joe Rudolph, didn't rotate the entire season, you know, and, and now we're now we're faced with, you know, the situation we are on the offensive line where you got a, got a bunch of guys that could have played last year, didn't, and now they're playing for their first time and, you know, there's an adjustment there. So so I think I think Crook could definitely pull the trigger on some ro- rotation, some more rotation at some point. Um, and, then, and then on the defensive side of the ball, Pearson Prelu as as the safeties coach got to figure that's a tough they're in a tough spot there, but um, you, you hope to see some improvement for, for what's happening there. I don't know if they can play Jalen Jones much longer um, as a as much as they have. So we'll see see how that position shakes out over the next few weeks, and maybe they can get Nasir Peoples back fully healthy and Jalen Stroman back fully healthy, but. Um, that that's going to be a revolving door, and then and then I think the last thing that we I don't I don't know if they can improve upon it or get better or change anything, but like I, I have been wondering, Chris Chris Marv took over the defensive play calling duties this year for Brent Pry, and Pry was one of the best defensive play callers in the country in in the Power Five a pretty top-notch defensive coordinator in that sense. And I guess it's not that surprising that there's a drop-off. Maybe, you know, Marv's just not as good as Pry as a play caller. I, I'm not – I don't think Pry should take back the play-calling duties, but, um, you know, whether that's more development or something else there, like we, we should acknowledge that there is going to be a drop-off there in, in ability as a defensive coordinator when you go from Pry – Pride to almost anyone else in the country, really. Um, those are some things I've been thinking about with the coaching staff. It's just like, you know, there's a lot going on that I think you can pinpoint. Those are a few of them, and some of them are scheme and personnel, and some of them are just acknowledging where you are as a coaching staff. I don't have too much to add to what Doug was saying. I think, like, part of the struggles we've seen and – you know, it's it's not fair to make it a complete excuse and take off a lot of the pressure from the coaching staff. But there have been so many key injuries to this team. Like it feels like this year there have been 
way more injuries than I've, you know, seen in the years that I've covered. And I think specifically when you're looking at the linebacker unit that I have not noticed a lot out of outside of maybe Kelly Lawson, like not having a consistent mic three weeks, four weeks into the season has really hurt this defense, especially with alignments, not having safeties, which are a big part of Brent Price scheme, you know, calling out where to go and not having Nasir Peoples, who, you know, is probably the most missed injured player right now. Um, you know, those things have definitely hurt, but that's where, you know, coaches make their money. You have to be able to develop guys. I think we've, you know, all indications from the depth chart, which is kind of funny because every week the depth chart just tells us a lot of lies, but, you know, it looks like Monsor Delane or Derek Canteen will be playing at safety um, and, and helping out there, just having more experience and um, some guys that, you know, have been around a bit longer. It's funny to say with Monsor Delane, who's, you know, a sophomore, like, you know, he's at the beginning of his second season and he's already a veteran presence uh, that can come in and help that safety group. But, you know, that's a start for an adjustment, you know, just being better there, being better at tackling and identifying these plays and not letting guys go completely untouched for 30 plus yards. Um and then, you know, it sounds like Alan Tisdale is coming back and while he's not a natural Mike and, you know, there's, you know, a deeper rooted issue there that after Dax Hollyfield left, there's really no heir apparent. Um, even with Jaden Keller, he comes in for week one and, you know, clearly the staff switches to Alan Tisdale, makes him the starter for week two. All of a sudden, you know, you're losing confidence in a younger guy that can be your Mike and that kind of derails your defense there. So you know, just being able to develop guys. And, you know, I think they're doing a couple things for temporary fixes. Uh, and then just the last thing would be, and I mentioned this in a Five Thoughts article, but just the slow starts have been so brutal this year. Virginia Tech has not, you know, outside of, I think it was the safety from Old Dominion, Virginia Tech has not scored in the first quarter of the season on offense. Like that's got to change. You got to, whether it was, you know, Brad Cornelson used to script the first 10 plays or whatever it was, but, you know, finding a rhythm early on offense and and driving down the field and giving yourself a chance, you know, putting more preparation into the start of the game uh, for offense and how you want to set things up and what plays you're trying to call. And then defensively, you know, just, I, I, I think it's a bit harder, especially with the injuries that I mentioned, but, you know, Purdue seemed to do whatever they wanted on that first drive of the game. And then Rutgers, you know, on the very first play scores a touchdown, you know, they, they kind of settled in after that, but you kind of know what these offenses that you're playing and we'll get to Marshall. They're much of the same. It's, it feels like as Rutgers, but, you know, being able to really have a good week of preparation for what the opposing offense wants to do on defense. Um, Cause you can't keep, you know, trying to claw back into games, get so close, and then, you know, just have the energy sapped away when when the other team scores. So the slow starts, um, just getting some guys some consistent roles on defense, uh, and then a lot of what Doug said on offense. Let's turn our attention to Marshall, where Doug, once again, is the foremost expert on the thundering herd. 
essentially, you know, what we're hearing a lot of is that Marshall is Rutgers, but defensively not as talented. What say you, Doug? I think they're as talented on defense. I mean, I guess from a G5 perspective, you question that a little bit against the Big Ten, but um, yeah, they are about as close to Rutgers as I think you could get. They got a kind of a two-headed rushing attack with their quarterback Cam Fancher and Rasheen Ali, who is fantastic. Um, and just like we were talking about against Old Dominion with that linebacker they had, that uh, definitely need to be, you know, helping him up on the Virginia Tech sideline whenever he's over there, shake his hand a little longer, whisper something in his ear, let him know that the portal season is coming. Uh, but those two, I mean, I, I think they're pretty similar to what you saw last year. I think Ali's probably better than um, Mon and Guy, the Rutgers quarterback. I mean, Rutgers running back. Um, and that's going to that's gonna present a problem for Virginia Tech's defense. I don't think this run – front defense is not good enough to stop a good running back, much less when, a, when, there's, when the quarterback also has a threat to run, which we saw last week. Um, I will say their offensive line – has really struggled like on a level of Virginia Tech's offensive line to open up consistent running holes. Um, most of Ollie's work this year, most of his successful plays have gone for touchdowns, long, long touchdown runs every, like he's got five carries for 157 yards and a couple scores and 65 yards on 31 carries the rest of the way. Like there just hasn't been room to run except for when he breaks it, which is, kind of like the Rutgers game. Um, so, you know, we'll see that. They, they've they really struggled offensively early, just like Virginia Tech. Um, they trailed Albany 17-14, I think it was, into the fourth quarter. They trailed ECU 13-10. Um, it took a took a trick play on a, on a running back pass to – or a wide receiver pass, something like that, to finally loosen up ECU. Um, defensively, I think they are just like Rutgers. They're really strong in the front seven. Sam Burton and Owen Porter are the defensive ends. Um, they're going to be a problem for Xavier Chaplin and Park Clements. Like I wrote my game preview. Like the the uh, you could analyze this game at every single level, but it might just come down to the the Marshall's defensive ends against Virginia Tech's offensive tackles. And if it doesn't go well for Virginia Tech, they won't have a chance. Um, the linebackers are really good. Kayshawn Brown, Eli Neal, um, Jacorian Anderson. They have a really good corner in Mike, Micah Abraham. Um, th- three of these guys on the on the defense are all preseason first team Sun Belts. Um, Sam Burton wasn't, but he's played better than Owen Porter, who was this year. They both they're both really good. Um, they got some talent on the defensive side of the ball. And just like Rutgers, they're basically all redshirt soft redshirt seniors or redshirt juniors, like nine, nine or 10 of them on the, on the, on the first line of the depth chart are experienced guys. And they, you know, and, and that's, that's tough for this Virginia tech defense. I mean, Virginia tech offense to go against there. I, I, I think there may be an opportunity going against some of the other DBs like JJ Roberts or Jacoby Henderson. He's a redshirt freshman corner. Like, I don't expect Tech to challenge Abraham, who's a really good corner. Um, so yeah, I think it's there's so much like Rutgers 
strong running game or or potentially strong running game if they can get anything out of their offensive line, but they still sh- probably are going to be able to break a big one or two against this tech run defense. Um, and then just an experienced, aggressive, attacking um, defensive front. And I, and I think the big thing when you look at Marshall overall as a program compared to Virginia Tech, they have just been way more successful. Like like we did like both Tech and Marshall have gotten off to poor starts this year in games, and, and Tech went zero and two in those games against Rutgers and um, Purdue, and and Marshall figured out a way to win. Um, Marshall has not won fewer than seven games since 2016, and they've only won fewer than and then. And it's been like 11 years since they lost fewer than that again. So, I mean, they're, I, I ran the numbers like Marshall over the last 10 years is like 85 and 44 overall. Like this is a winning program. They expect to win. They do that because they play good defense and they run the ball. And just like, it's kind of like how Rutgers was. They haven't been successful at all in the win-loss column, but like that was a defense that had been pretty good for a while. And an offense that knew exactly their identity and what they what they were good at and they were just going to lean into it and they did that and they won by 19 so this is kind of the same deal and i kind of see it going the same way yeah the only other things i'll add to that are concerns against Rutgers, obviously with their game plan and really just trying to establish the run and you know they did that uh virginia tech had zero sacks three tackles for loss I know it's only been two games so far for Marshall, but they have not allowed a sack, kind of taking out the, you know, the edge presence from, uh, you know, opposing teams. And I, again, you Albany, whatever, but, you know, taking out arguably the best Virginia tech defender in APR, you you could argue that, but, you know, just the way they're going to try to attack the defense, it, poses a lot of the same problems and even if you're moving Monsoor Delane to safety which you know to be fair is a good week to do so um and and getting a guy like Alan Tisdale back I just don't know how much changes in six days where you're able to prepare for a team and all those run fits and getting everyone on the same page without pressure from your defensive line like it it just poses more of the same problems and you know I, I do think we see Virginia Tech's defense have more success, but I think what worries me the most about Marshall, and Doug mentioned it, they will keep trying to run the ball, and eventually if there's one breakdown, it's going to be a lot of what we saw last week, and that could be the difference. So, Yeah, you look at their numbers, they're balanced so far this year. It's only been two games against, like they said, Albany and East Carolina. They've on the average 32 passing attempts, 32 rushing attempts. Um, last year, they were heavily towards the run. They ran the ball, I think it was seventh most in the country last year. I think that's probably what they will get back to eventually, like with more games under their belt. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Um, the, uh, the passing game is really interesting because it is almost entirely like a short passing, quick passing attack. That's why they haven't given up any sacks this year is they – the ball comes out like extremely quickly. Virginia Tech's pass rush will not be a factor in this game. Um, that's why I wrote my game preview that Tech's defensive lineman, like control your gap, set the edge, and p- 
put your hands up in the air and try and get a hand on the ball as it comes by. Uh, like Fancher throws the ball um, extremely quickly and they throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage a ton. Um, like significantly more than they throw the ball short. They throw it behind the line of scrimmage, which is interesting. Um, but that just means it's a lot of screens. I think 26% of Fancher's passes are screen passes, which is a lot. Um, and it's just going to make pursuing the ball through traffic through those blockers, which Virginia Tech has not been good at this year, um, a challenge in the passing game. I think that's that, that's going to be the the question, I think, for the Virginia Tech pass defense in the back seven particularly is how they um, how they kind of pursue the ball. I wouldn't be surprised to see more three, three down linemen defenses just to get another back seven player on the field, knowing that your defensive line is probably not going to be able to get to the quarterback anyway. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I think Tech has an opportunity to, like, dare Marshall to throw the ball deep. Um, they don't throw the ball deep very much at all. They didn't last year. They're not again this year, and they don't do it very well. Um, so I think I would, I would, you know, hug them tight. Dare them to beat you over the top, like over and over again. Even if they beat you once or once or twice, that's seven, 14 points. Like live with that, but we're going to try everything we can to shut down your, your, your passing game in front of us and commit a lot of resources for the run. Um, I think it makes perfect sense to play Delane at free safety instead of Jones this week because of that, you know, he either diagnoses the run or he sees it's a pass and can go help somebody out in the passing game from safety spot and otherwise you can get eight guys in the box so um it, it's going to be an interesting matchup it's i feel like it's going to put a lot of pressure on tech's back seven to tackle not necessarily in space but like in like tight spaces where there's offensive alignment hanging around trying to chip you and stuff so um it's going to be a challenge for tech's defense and and that's and that's on all the plays where one of the best running backs that they'll face this year doesn't have the ball greatest opportunity for tech going in this week like what needs to happen what needs to be exposed in order for tech to win and i know we touched on it but just put it into the world greatest potential liability which uh, is they got actually a... probably quite a few liabilities <laughs> quite a few um they're gonna have to hit a big play or two in the or three in the past game big plays in the past game there is Marshall's front set front seven is very good. I do think there's opportunities in the secondary to hit a big play. Um, running quarterbacks have kind of had a little success against all against um, Marshall this year. The Albany running back or quarterback had some success, and so did the ECU quarterback running the football. So definitely makes you feel like drones is a is a fit at least in that sense to pick up some yards. Um, and then, and then I, like I said, I think you dare him to beat it over the top. And, you know, maybe like this tech has got to win the turnover battle this, this week more than anything. Um, Marshall has been one of the luckiest turnover teams in the country for like two years now. And it's happening again this year. Fancher in particular has um, fumbled quite a bit <laughs> for how many carries he's gotten. I think it, five last year and he had three against ECU. So 
that's a question mark. You could turn them over there. And then like I was talking about, you, you focus on the short passes, maybe jump one step in front of one, or you get a hand up at the line of scrimmage and get a tip ball pick. But um, I don't think Virginia Tech can win this game without winning the turnover margin. Um, they've got to, and that's probably involves not turning the ball over themselves and turning Marshall over like two or three times to where you get, you get a couple extra possessions, get a couple short fields, um, get some free points that way. I, I think that's really the only way. Um, and then I, I think I covered the, the weaknesses of tackling in space and getting to what is essentially an extension of the running game with those passes behind the line of scrimmage. I don't feel great about Virginia Tech be able to fit those plays consistently in the passing game or Ollie consistent, like in the running he, Tech might do the exact same thing again that they did against Rutgers and Purdue, which is play pretty good against the run for most of the game. And then two or three runs puts 14 points on the board and and that's it. So um, I think there's some, some problems there. Yeah. And I'll just say additionally, I think when we looked at the Virginia tech offense, one of the more impressive stats was just the time of possession they had the ball for 33 minutes against Rutgers. You know, again, Rutgers didn't do the steady beatdown of Virginia Tech defensively. You know, there was a lot of three and outs, but there was also a lot of big opportunities that they had. Um, and then, you know, doing that again against a team like Marshall, I think is really important. Um, limiting those opportunities, trying to get them off the field, giving your defense some rest. Um, and then also offensively, I think. It's, you know, a pretty, it's pretty key to get one of the guys in the backfield going outside of drones. Uh, we saw more in- encouraging things out of Tootin. I think he's had 41 yards on 11 carries and that touchdown. But, you know, really getting him to, you know, exploit the inside run while Kyron can, you know, go outside the read options, the quarterback draws you know, really just keeping the defense on their toes to open up the passing game. I think that's really important in addition to, you know, obviously extending drives and holding on to the football. And then, you know, defensively, I think it's all about trying to stop Ali. Like, I think he's the biggest threat. He's he's better than Monning guy, like way better. And I think two years ago, he had like nearly 1500 yards of rushing. So, um, you know, really keying in on him and you know, if Marshall's quarterback is going to beat you, he's going to beat you. But, you know, this is the game where you got to get your run fits sorted out uh, and and really just enable the linebackers and and the safeties to have a good game, like really prepare them to key in on what Marshall wants to do offensively. So if you can stop Ali um, and, you know, keep the ball on offense and, you know, extend those drives, maybe go for it a couple times when it's fourth and short and you're in enemy territory, you know, it would help not to miss any kicks, but, you know, just, you know, that I think that gives Virginia Tech the best chance to win. I was going to mention the kick kicking games as the last piece of this. Like if it's a tight game and we're talking field goals, like Love missed that one last week. I think that Tech just cannot, like, I think they should go for it in those situations. Um but if you're going to kick the field goal, you got to make the field goal. So I think that's a quick trigger waiting to happen there. Kyle Lowe maybe gets a look if he's still struggling. But then Marshall on the other side, not much better. Um, their kicker last year went 13 for 20. 
Um, and then they benched him after his first field goal of the season got blocked against Albany. They put in this guy who transferred from Washburn University, where he was eight of twelve last year. So you know, like I don't know, decent, um, maybe. So kicking kick game could get interesting in a tight one. I don't think it's going to be a tight one, but in the event it does, like <laughs> kick field goals are going to be a question mark. All right, gentlemen. Time to make your picks. Doug, expert on Marshall, you go first. Yeah, uh, I think I covered it pretty good so far, but I I just it's similar to the Rutgers game. Um, even if Marshall's offensive line isn't any better than it's been, um, feels like Ali is likely to break a couple big runs against this Virginia Tech run defense. And I don't like the short passing attack and and what it's going to do as far as putting pressure on Tech's back seven to tackle, um, tackle and fit those kind of run defense plays as well um, for four quarters. So um, that and a strong defense, which I think Tech's offense probably scores a couple touchdowns. I don't think we were talking last week after the podcast ended about a shutout streak potentially being in jeopardy, but I don't think that's the case this week. Um, I think Tech's offense should be able to get a couple scores, but nothing consistently. So I think the final score lingers around to what it was last year. I mean, last week, 30, 30 to 17. I, I think I went 31-17 in my prediction. So I, I'll stay consistent there. I think the one thing we haven't talked about yet is like, this is going to be a challenging atmosphere for Virginia Tech to play in as a you know one of the few G, uh, p5 programs to go to hunt huntington marshall's going to be up for it sold out crowd they're doing their strike the stadium thing um they're going to be jacked up to 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 try and beat a power five program they don't because they don't get that opportunity very often and like i don't know if tex uh psyche is ready for that like to to handle that especially if things start going poorly and there's some adversity um it's going to be a pretty interesting app it's like it's like going to old dominion when they're up for for tech to come um come to norfolk so it'll be a tough atmosphere so 31 17 i I think it's a multiple score loss for virginia tech i think it's actually going to be a little bit closer this week i think jalen lane helps a lot i think you know if if tootin can get going a little bit more uh, I think Virginia Tech's offensive game plan like they had last week, you know, building on that, you know, this is all assuming Drones is playing the same, if not better, than he did last week. Uh, I think they are able to do a couple things on offense. Uh, defensively, I think, you know, it helps that they're playing a similar team to Rutgers and can elaborate on on their game plan from last week and building upon that this week, getting some key key guys back and some shifts on defense um i do think you know if if all is equal i still think virginia tech loses this game and i'm gonna say it's 27 for marshall 20 for virginia tech but i think you know like doug was saying turnovers are so crucial like we saw it last week how quickly things can swing the fumble um the interception from drones didn't really change anything although it was after uh, Rutgers scored. But, you know, I think if Virginia Tech can find themselves the beneficiary of, you know, 
a swing in momentum that, you know, this game could go a lot differently. And I think there are more avenues to beating a team like Marshall than there were against Rutgers a week ago. Uh, so that's why I'm going to go 27-20 for Marshall. Because you guys being negative. I don't know. I'm going to pick a win. Okay. Wow. Optimistic Andrew. I just think that uh, the rubber meets the road at some point. And that Brent Pry and Tyler Bowen are going to figure out a way to scheme a win here against Marshall. You and I, Colby Crawford. Yeah. God, God love Colby. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll change my mind by the time I actually have to put something on pen and paper insofar as I don't even really know how to justify it. But with lane back, passing attack opens up a little bit. And Virginia Tech gets a big turnover and they, they win the game. 21-20. Oh, it's just it's sad predicting something that you know is wrong. Uh, but yeah, any final <laughs> thoughts, guys? I know uh, you know, taking a look around college football, Duke, 18 and a half point favorites last week. They covered. Tremendous effort there by the Blue Devils. Um, Love Duke. It's a shame that Mike Elko is going to be the next head coach at Michigan State. I think Michigan State could be Texas A and M, buddy. <laughs> oh, I don't. I love that too. Uh, the two how did the college almost beat Florida State? Doug, explain. What was this Boston College? How did Boston College keep it within three? Uh. Their quarterback, they they changed quarterbacks. Castellanos, long drive to left. Um, mm-hmm. He's pretty good, or he's, you know, he's better than the other guy they were throwing out there. Um, they fell behind, wasn't it? They, they fell behind like 31-10, and then Florida State let him back in the game. Travis got hurt, which, you know, playing at Chestnut Hill is always a little tricky, especially a noon start at Chestnut Hill, like, they had the the hurricane just off the coast throwing some wind into that game. That was a funky game. Um, I wasn't surprised BC kept that closer. They they should have gotten the ball back, but they had a bad. Uh, I think I heard they had eighteen penalties and they lost to the number three team in the country by like what was it three two points three points. Um, <laughs> they were pretty. I mean, eighteen penalties including the dagger at the end, and to only lose by two points, maybe. Maybe Boston College is secretly decent. Very well could be. Uh, speaking of secretly decent, ODU almost beats Wake. Is ODU good? Can we take that approach? Well, yeah. Tech has one win, but they beat a good team. Um, I don't know if they're good, but they're average probably good enough to win some sunbelt games i think we talked about this like i think they're going to be better as the season goes on and they kind of incorporate all those transfers and young players they got and get more comfortable in that system um they don't have the top in talent that they did last year but they have more lower in talent which may be all you need in the sunbelt but so good maybe not better than anticipated sounds about right yeah, I think they were like a three and a half. Didn't we talk about this? They, they were like a th- over three and a half wins this season. I was like, I could see them getting over that by the end of the year where they're, where they're probably going to be better. Fair enough. I didn't bet it, though, so of course not. 
All right, gentlemen, final thoughts, feelings. I think it's going to be a more entertaining game on Saturday. I think it's going to be closer till the end. Um, I'm going with my brain over, you know, um, fan sentiment that they want to win and that it's, you know, quote unquote, a must win before the conference schedule. Um, But I think it's going to be a good game. But other than that, I am excited for the slate of college football. (laughs) 3.30, I'm going to need like three TVs. Um, Colorado, Oregon, UCLA, Utah, Ole Miss, Alabama, all at 3.30. So I'm going to need to find a way to, you know, set up a couple TVs going at once. It's called it's pretty easy to do these the days. Bar. Tech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will find there a little bit. There is a place. With multiple I'm confident TVs. you'll be able to figure it out. We'll sell. Either way, one way or another, by 3.30, our fate will be sealed. Doug will be texting like a madman into the group chat, collecting his thoughts to reflect upon what could be the biggest game of the Brent Pry era as Tech hopes not to lose to a team that is on the schedule because they scheduled them five years ago looking for an automatic win. How the mighty have fallen. But hey, we appreciate you listening. This is my my thought process. If you're still listening to our podcast or any Virginia Tech podcast at this point, you deserve good in life because you are a true fan. You are a true fan. And we'll be back to talk to you next week. Andrew Alex for Doug Bowman and Matei Sis. This is Inside the Tunnel. Rate, review, subscribe. Go get your VIP subscription. And as always, go Hokies.